Warning, this podcast episode may contain explicit content, including swearing, discussion of sexual violence and rape, and other adult content. Welcome to Crow Club, a Shadow and Bone and Grisha-verse podcast. If you've been listening, you know that what you can expect from us is spoilers, lots and lots of spoilers for literally everything. You should all know that by now. You're going to get spoilers for all three series, and in this episode... Season one and season two of the Netflix Shadow and Bone show. So you have been warned. My name is JJ. I'm Kat. And I'm Anjali. And today's topic is season two of the Shadow and Bone Netflix show, part one. We don't know how many parts there are going to be. I am extremely excited to talk about this with y'all. I have been waiting. And here we are. And I'm just thrilled. So let's start with a fun name fact that we got from season two of the Netflix Shadow and Bone show, which is all of these words that we've been stressing about how to pronounce correctly, like Morozova and Morzost, and even Nikolai. It turns out we can say them however we want. They're pronounced <laughs> like seven different ways in the show. And so that, as a podcaster, that made me feel really good about my pronunciation of them and that no one's going to crack down on me too hard for sometimes saying Nikolai and sometimes Nikolai. Yeah, you don't, you guys don't realize how much we correct each other for our mispronunciations. <laughs> and then in season two, the characters are just pronouncing these names willy nilly, just so many different ways. So we realize probably no one cares. Oh my gosh. Okay. I said it before. I'll say it again. So excited to discuss this with you two. Um, I promised I'd do some screaming. So I'm just going to start with, ah! I'm really excited. She's um, doing the Darkling Ben Barnes scream. Yeah. If you're listening, you can't see it, but I do have a handkerchief in my hand. So before this season came out, I asked you both to write up a list of your hopes, predictions, and fears for the season. So I thought a fun start would be going through those and seeing how we all did. I can start us off because my list was pretty short. I only had three things on it. The first was I hoped we could get a long lingering shot of the Lansoff Emerald that pans to show the entire setting. I may be the only Ooh. person on the show that cares about jewelry. Certainly the props department does not care about jewelry. Anjali, I said a short prayer for you when I saw the Lansoff Emerald and knew you hadn't gotten to that episode yet. <laughs> yeah, I, what the hell, guys? I got what I wished for and yet it wasn't what I wished for at the same time. <laughs> the second thing that I hoped for was that tethering would be included. I think that was one of the more exciting aspects of Siege and Storm, and that definitely was included in the show in some ways I didn't necessarily expect. Everyone can tether. Everyone can tether. <laughs> Mal oh. can tether. Oh, I loved the Darkling Mal tether. Oh, I was so excited. I was just like thrilled to see it. the conversation <laughs> went exactly how I wanted it to. And then the third thing I wanted was some clear explanation of Alina and Mal not setting off the third amplifier despite touching and being together. One of the things we will do, probably not in this episode, but that I, has been looping in my mind basically incessantly is the amplifiers here. So yes, I think we'll we could have a whole 
episode about the changes in the amplifier rules based off of the season. We might. We might. All right. Kat, what did you have on your hopes list? I was hoping for some very cool but short, not protracted fight scenes between characters like Alina and the Darkling or other well-matched major characters that I care about. I was also looking for a major plotline for Zoya that isn't just her being humiliated or her downfall to build her back up into Dragon Queen later. I do not think we got that. She was barely here, barely saw her. I was also hoping to understand a little bit more of Genya's motivations for sticking with the Darkling. I think we did get that. I wanted some like really good Nina and Zoya scenes together too. I think I went off on like a semi-tangent rant monologue to JJ before about how much I wanted to see Nina try to flirt with Zoya. Did not get that. I did get screen time of them together, I will say. But it was weird, antagonistic, and not friendly. No flirting. (laughs) And a very different dynamic than in the books. I wanted some tethering scenes, too. And like Anjali, the show did not (laughs) not have tethering. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, JJ? All right, so... My hopes for this were lots more Genya. We'd been talking a lot about the Taylor, the short story, and I really wanted something along those lines. Not that story, but just getting to see her and the Darkling together. And we did. And oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts about that. But we totally got that. I said, make me ship Genya and David. Make me, please. And they did that too. I ship it. (laughs) I ship it now. Maybe just in time for them to have maybe killed off David. But, you know, I ship it. I said I'd love to be more interested in Wylan. I think multiple listeners have maybe pointed out that we haven't talked about Wylan and Jesper or Wesper yet. That has certainly been in part because I didn't feel like I had a good grasp on especially Wylan. And I loved him. I really loved him in this season. I think we have a lot more to talk about. Another hope I had was no apparat, <laughs> and we got so <laughs> close to having no apparat. And then he's just like in one of the last scenes. I was like, no. And then my last hope was <laughs> for a tragic event that leaves the Darkling beardless, <laughs> and not even an army of tailors can fix it. I've never really bought into the Darkling having a beard, even though Ben Barnes obviously looks fantastic with a beard for me it still feels a little incongruous to have the darkling with a beard clearly there was no tragic event that shaved him of his facial hair but the writers really read the rest of your wish list i'm very impressed they did i was thrilled with that except for the no apparat part where he just should have stayed out of that one scene cat what were your fears for this season i think a lot of my fears for season two were related to the crows actually One big one was I was just worried about too much like Kaz being a badass scenes for like fan service. And I think related to my hopes, if you must, then I want the fights to at least be interesting, believable and well matched. I'm looking Mm -hmm. at season one, the Kaz versus the Darkwing scene. Very similarly, I was worried about too much like Kanej and Wesper fan service. I actually have kind of changed my opinions. I think season two did a really good job with both of these relationships. Happy to talk more about it later. And then more maybe meta, I was worried about the balance between getting us emotionally invested in all the new characters they had to get introduced this season. So we're still following along with all the hijinks of the original cast, both of you know the Shadow and Bone trilogy and the Six of Crows duology characters. 
How do you feel they did on that one? Not super well. I think Tamar was a badass. It's hard to not like her. She was also very distinct and recognizable. Nikolai, honestly, if I hadn't read the books, I would have been like, eh, random prince, you know, not really sure what his deal is. He tries to like throw out a lot of quips. They're not landing well. Tolia, totally different character. A little intrigued, but not so like if he had died and I was only a show watcher, I'd been like, eh, too bad. I think relatedly, like Nina, Zoya, was very hard to feel as emotionally invested in them if I hadn't been a reader in this season specifically. I'd love to talk later about Nina and Zoya and how their character arcs are so different in this show versus the books. God, there's so much to talk about. These episodes were jam-packed. There was so much happening. It was a little wild. So my fear is I only had two. One was that a fear that this may be the last season just because... Like, gotta have more Grishaverse content. And, you know, that's clearly still up in the air. And my other fear was that they'd cut out some of the Darklings more unhinged shit just because he's a lot softer mm. in the TV show. Like, you know, that Bagra wouldn't lose her eyes. What did you and, think of that? Wow. I thought that was a really interesting specific example that I gave because, sure, he didn't gouge up Bagra's eyes, but he did chop off her finger. And, you know, did he do less unhinged shit? I think so. Obviously, he was a different character in season one. He continued to be a different character in season two. I thought they were setting him up in episode one to be a different character than he ended up being in the rest of the season. But, you know, I think he did do some pretty unhinged shit. So I think I feel fine about that in the end. Any other predictions you had before starting season two? I predicted Bagra kept her eyes, and then the trailers came out, and it looked like she did. One of my predictions was that given that Alina seems to be a more active participant in her own role and isn't kidnapped by the Darkling, which we found out when the trailers came out, and Mal's not a douchebag, which I've actually revised my opinion on since the season came out, an engagement to Nikolai is what keeps her away from Mal. Mm-hmm. And she did get engaged to Nikolai. They had like an engagement party Mm -hmm. but it turned out that she didn't need to be kept away from mal because they could still handhold as much as they wanted without her finding out that he was an amplifier another prediction i had was that alina would have a chance to use her shoe heritage to her advantage as opposed Mm -hmm. to in season one where it was just all bad Mm -hmm. they did not do that pretty clearly (laughs) did not do that but that is one of the 700 threads that they queued up for a potential season three Mm -hmm. yep And my last prediction was that Inez's brother would be part of the plotline. He did get mentioned once, yes, but he was certainly not part of the plotline. Yes, one of my predictions was also that we would get more Inez backstory. We didn't really, but we got a whole lot of Kaz backstory this season. (sighs) I did not predict that. I thought they would save that for a like more like Six of Crows ice court heist. And then I also predicted that it would be a tricky line to walk, keeping Mal being a major character without rewarding him to be like the douchey book Mal character. Mm, you were right. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised by that, actually. I thought the writers had invested a lot in Mal and what they were doing with him. So it was interesting to see where they took him by the end of the season. I thought as a bonus topic that we don't need to keep in, but I thought I would remind both of you when we found out there was going to be a Shadow and Bone show, I had a number of conversations, including with both of you, maybe, me being cast as the Darkling. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so I found a little list of pros and cons of casting me as the Darkling. Clearly, I was not cast as the Darkling. They chose Ben Barnes for that role. But you got a shoe in for Yuri. <laughs> I'll remind you of the pros, which were so the pros of casting me as the Darkling. So number one, I have dark hair. And so this is the Darkling. Number two, cheekbones for days. They always talk about the Darkling's cheekbones. They I do. Have very prominent cheekbones. Good cut ice. Number three. Number three, I already know all his lines. You do. She <laughs> right? actually does. It's bonkers yeah. how quickly she can yeah. pull a Darkling quote, like iconic quote out for any situation. The cons are that I am not a dude <laughs> and the Darkling is canonically a dude, both in show canon now in book canon. And the other con, there were only two, is that I have never acted before in my life, not even a little bit. <laughs> so anyway, so they did not cast me, obviously, as the Darkling. They cast Ben Barnes, who I thought did a lovely job and, you know, undoubtedly better than I would have. But that <laughs> that was fun to resurface after two seasons. So what did you love about season two after you two finished it? And what got you really excited or what were you happy and pleased by? So things that I was excited about and really pleased by, I thought that the Kaz and Inez relationship was rendered really well this season. I think it's a really complicated and very dark relationship and they did it justice mm -hmm. in my opinion. The very iconic line that Inej says, I will have you without your armor, Kazbrecker, or I won't have you at all, was actually in the show and it didn't just feel inserted in there. It made sense in the context and it was just as heart-wrenching as it was in the book to me. So yeah, I love seeing their relationship. I think they did a lot of softening of Kaz's character. You were mentioning that show Darkling was softened, especially in season one. To me, show Kaz is very much a softer, more TV-friendly character than the Kaz in the books who they call like the demon in the barrel and stuff. And he is unhinged often in the books. I think there are many Like gouging points. out people's eyes. Yeah, gouging out people's yeah. eyes. There are many points... When you're reading it, and if you like Inej, which I think it's hard for most readers to not, you're like, why in the world are you interested in this complete like sociopath? And TV Kaz is actually much more humanized. He's softer. He shows interest in her. He shows care about her. He makes like decisions that aren't just motivated, you know, by money earlier into the plot than he does in the duology. So I think it's easier to root for them as a couple to ship them. When you really like both of them and you're no longer like an edge girl, get out of there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then in a similar vein, the Wyland-Jesper relationship was just amazing in the show. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's a relationship that in the books I truly did not care about. And honestly, that's because it just kind of seemed to come out of nowhere. And here the writers like really invested in their romance and it was really engaging and charming. And I am such a fan of Wesper now. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> and I mean, not coincidentally, both of those couples are crows. I think that the characters that are not crows fared a lot less well generally. The original Shadow and Bone cast, I think, was kind of neglected by the writers in some ways. But I will say, I love that Jenya really got to shine. We understood so much of her motivations and like 
really got some great acting by Daisy Head, like really amazing. And Tolia and Tamar also just were so engaging and they really came alive and had so much charisma. And I actually think it's funny, like Nikolai, the character I would have expected to be the most charismatic, I think didn't come off as well because he had Tolia right next to him who just could charm the pants off of anybody. Tolia and Tamar. Yeah. Yes, both both of them. Both of them. For sure. So just, I just couldn't take my eyes off of them. They were so, so engaging. What did you love, JJ? So one thing that I did not expect to love, but that I truly did love, loved being able to see things that happened in the books put in a different way in the show. So shown differently and being able to pick up on those things as they happened, I found truly thrilling. And some of this was the crow stuff, you know, the scene where Kaz helps Inej with her arm relatively early on. And it's played very differently in the show, right? Because in the books, it's this really dramatic, like you understand the stakes and in the show you don't. But I was like, oh, this scene, and I do understand the stakes. So like in the battle, when... Adric gets picked up by the Nichevoya by an arm. I was like, oh, that's how Adric loses his arm, <laughs> you know? And oh man, that gelatin mold <laughs> of a deer <laughs> at the engagement party, I saw the gelatin mold and I'm like, oh no, this is going to end badly because that's what Nikolai has at his birthday party where the Darkling attacks. And I'm like, okay, so he's attacking here. And so I thought that it actually really helped orient me in a way where... Uh, I could have felt unmoored given all of the changes and how well I know the book canon. And I I didn't expect to just love these things that I noticed and see how they were changed and played here. So the other thing I was really excited about was Jenya. Mm. I just really loved Jenya. I thought she was phenomenal. I was so glad we got to see more of her. I was glad we got to see her in one-on-one scenes with different people. I loved that. She was probably my shadow and bone character who I was just like, all of this, like more of this. So I was extremely pleased that my queen, Zoya, could do no wrong. She was barely in the season, but she did no wrong. And I will get into this later, but there were definitely a lot of major characters who I love from the books who did disappoint me. She did not. Similar to you, loved getting into the understanding like what's going on in Jenya's mind when she's back with the Darkling before getting together with Alina and crew again. I know that many people in the fandom aren't here for it, but I kind of love the Tolia and Ejkaz love triangle that was set up and hinted at very (laughs) unsubtly multiple times. I'm intrigued. I want to see Kaz pushed out of his comfort zone more. I loved some of the newly added dialogue that's not straight from the books. There were a few lines where I was like, oh my God, I love that. I wish I'd written them down at the time. Maybe in future episodes, I will rewatch them and note some. And same as season one, I'm so happy with what they've done with Jesper. He's truly a interesting dynamic character that you just can't help but root for. Even a saint was charmed by him. Believable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anjali, what were you less pleased by this season? I think in some ways we see a lot of characters getting a lot more depth than they seem to have in the books. But I do feel, on the other hand, two of my favorites, Nina and Zoya, their arcs were somewhat shortchanged. Nina, while 
continually a badass and I love that about her. I really love that scene where, you know, Kaz is coming up with this extremely intricate, complicated plot and she just gives a perfect example of working smarter and not harder and is like, yeah, I just asked and this is where, you know, this, the count's office is. Everyone that was is, so good. Yeah, everyone that is was so good. Was she yes. eating a waffle while doing that? And yes. she was eating a waffle while doing it. I mean, peak Nina. <laughs> Iconic. So, Not to say that Nina does not come off as a badass. However, one of the things that we've talked about in our Nina episodes that makes Nina such a complex and interesting character is she does have this duality where she is really into expressing herself and indulging herself, but she's also extremely loyal and hardworking and disciplined and really cares about her country, cares about Ravka and will go to extreme lengths for it. And they set up this like weird kind of confrontation with Zoya where they're contemporaries and she just kind of has this argument with Zoya like, oh yeah, why do you care about country above all else? Like really, I'm out here finding my true love. And someday when you find your true love, you'll see. And I get that it's kind of making her more of a renegade, but I think it erases part of what makes Nina so dynamic and interesting. It kind of reduces her to a more one note character. Absolutely. She just becomes someone who's chasing after her loved one who she put away in prison I completely agree with you. It was frustrating to see Nina reduce down that complexity of her loyalty to Ravka drives so much of her future stories and Mm -hmm. interesting dynamics. Yeah. Also, you know, it makes her relationship with Matthias so interesting because Matthias also struggles with his loyalty to country versus his love of Nina. And Nina is also struggling with that, but like helps Matthias through his struggle. And if you just kind of reduce Nina to like not having that struggle at all, I also feel like it changes their relationship dynamic. 100%. It's one of their shared values. I mean, they're on the opposite side, but the fact that they both love their people so much is, I think, part of the attraction and draw, right? And when Matthias dies, at least in the books, who knows if he'll die in the show now, And he tells her, like, have some mercy and compassion for my people. Like, that is so important and big because she's such a loyal Ravkin soldier. And she's been trained to think of all Fjordans except Matthias with distrust and animosity. I think the other character arc I was a little disappointed by was Zoya. As you mentioned, (laughs) she does no wrong. And I, I agree with that. But, you know, part of what we see in the last two books in the Shadow and Bone trilogy is Zoya really kind of redeeming herself, like softening her character slowly, getting on the side of the good guys, gaining trust from everyone, and then kind of earning her spot in the triumvirate at the end. And I think what happened in this season, all of that like growth basically already happened off screen. It happened in the last 10 minutes of the previous season. And she comes into the season ready to make friends with Alina, not seeming to really have a lot of conflict about it and just already being a softer, friendlier character in some ways. So it's not the worst thing in the world, but I don't know. And then also, I don't know how she's going to become Dragon Queen, but Alina is still alive and engaged to Nikolai. Seems, uh, it will bother me if she never becomes Dragon Queen. 
That wasn't my favorite. No. And- I'm happy if she'll just become a dragon. That that seems fine with me. But I'm not sure <laughs> how the Nikolai queen. Zoya romance is going to happen, which I, you know, yeah. is one of my favorite parts of the books. Let's see. The other thing that <laughs> I thought was very disappointing was the Darkling's army, like his officers. <laughs> Oh my gosh, could you come up with a more uninteresting set of characters for us to watch? And truly, like, the writers are talented. They can make people interesting, but they really didn't invest enough at the beginning of the season to make us care about these characters. And then they spent, like, huge amounts of time in the seventh episode, like, of us watching these characters. And I don't know, I just, it felt boring. So much time was spent concentrating on these characters who I did not know and did not care about. I do agree with you that these random new Darkling Grisha were not at all interesting. I was not emotionally invested in them. There was a scene at the end where the blonde one is killed and Fruji mm-hmm. is crying and we like pans to her face and I'm like, I don't care. Like, we don't care about her. (laughs) Why do you think I care about her? It reminded me of, like, how I felt like I would have experienced Nikolai and some of the other characters if I hadn't, and Zoya, if I hadn't read the books. Like, I'm like, Mm -hmm. why do I care about these people showing up again, you know, in the burning fire scene? And then my last disappointment, I will say, is how all the rules about amplifiers seem to go out the window. Like, the things that happened with Bagra and her finger bone and then like five different Grisha were using it, even though very well established in canon that only one Grisha to one amplifier and God knows what else. It's entirely possible that we are the only people that treat the small science like an actual science and are trying to study its rules, but there's got to be someone else out there. It's just frustrating because it breaks so many of the books. I'm not even talking about the original trilogy or like the last duology, even things like Demon in the Woods. It's all predicated on one child must kill him and claim his bones or else they could have ganged up on him and shared his bone. The thing I was really frustrated with was that there was no consistent show canon that I was able to understand from watching the show around how amplifiers work. Yes, Mm -hmm. because in the beginning of the season, Tolia and Tamar talk about how they were hunting that shark. And if Tolia had gotten there 30 seconds Earlier. earlier, he could have claimed the shark. According to like the rules at the end of the season, why couldn't both of them use the shark as the amplifier? And all of their friends. Shark have a lot of teeth. I think the, <laughs> the closest we got to any sort of explanation is what I think it was you, JJ, who called this out in our thread that at some point Bagra mm-hmm. says to Vladim, that's heresy. That's it. We don't get anything else suggesting like why this is happening. What's the explanation behind it? Is it Merzost? So Don't know. We need to do a deep dive on the amplifiers because... Totally. <sighs> and then I'm just going to sneak in one last disappointment about the season. I was disappointed in Alina, especially in the beginning of the season, of her characterization. Alina is one of my favorite book characters. I find her show translation to be, you know, she's a little more boring, a little less funny, but she was still very likable in the first season. At the beginning of the second season, she comes off very entitled, very naive at the same time. And I did not like that. The way she 
tried to order Nikolai around continuously <laughs> by saying, like, you know, I'm your I'm client, client or whatever. <laughs> like, she wasn't. I don't understand. Alina it. Karen Starkov. Yeah, she was like two seconds away from calling the manager on Nikolai. I'm like, what is this? No one likes people who act like this. What are your disappointments, JJ? So I think maybe my biggest disappointment was Mal. And anyone who knows me is like, how could you be disappointed by Mal? You've always hated Mal. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I actually liked season one show Mal. And I think they did a lot of work to get me to like him. Like they really worked to change his character in a way that made me be like, yeah, I like this guy. And then they kept so many of the things that I did not like about him in Siege and Storm and Rune and Rising in season two. Like, obviously, he drank less. He didn't sleep around. And obviously, that is a point or two in his favor, (laughs) for sure. She's reluctant to dole out these points, I can see. (laughs) But part of why I really didn't like Book Mal is that I don't like the archetype of someone who has decided unilaterally that they will sacrifice themselves, their happiness, whatever, for someone else. And that whenever they have a conversation about it, the person who has decided to make the sacrifice is always right and the other person is just like not seeing things clearly. And that was a lot of what we got from Mal. I felt like he kept making these decisions about what they would do. He wasn't even excited to try out things that wouldn't involve him dying in order to be an amplifier, where I was like, dude, at least give it a try. If it doesn't work, (laughs) you'll still die. He was just broody and moody and, oh, I'm always right sort of thing. And I really didn't like that. I didn't like that for Alina. I didn't even like that she had to put up with it, even if she liked him still. And I didn't know why they kept that. Honestly. I think I still liked him better than Book Mel. I kind of liked where they ended him at the end of this season. So still would take him if we were doing a Kiss, Mary Kill right now <laughs> over Book Mel. <laughs> okay, sorry. I guess I even left out Mal's ending <laughs> with what I didn't like about him, which is that he acted like, oh, I'm right. We do everything the way that I want. And then she does it the way he wants. Then for one second, does it the way she wants by bringing him back to life which I get there's a lot going on there that I'm kind of skipping over. Some consent, maybe. And then he's like, how could I even know if I love you? And I'm like, what just happened, dude? I think they could have played that in a way that made them both come off really well. Mm -hmm. I think that ultimately that idea of an ending, I am very excited about. I did not think it was played in a way that did either of them any service. Ooh, spicy take. I think Mal's character there was very sacrificed in favor of Alina's new ending and setting up Mal for season three, his ship adventures. (laughs) Can I Um, conjecture about a thing that you might be disappointed about, JJ? Yeah. So when reading the books, one thing that JJ actually pointed out to me, she said that she's always disappointed in books with magic when people don't immediately think about how to use it during sex. And she loved that 
<laughs> in Ruin and Rising, Alita uses her powers when she finally sleeps with Mal. And I was just like, what? And then I went and read the book and it's very subtle, but it's there. She does use her powers when she sleeps totally with Mal I totally didn't notice too. it also until it was pointed and out to me. Enhance the experience. So then when I watch the <laughs> sex scene in the show, I'm all geared up. I'm ready for Alita to start yeah. glowing or whatever. And it just doesn't happen. And I was disappointed, but I thought about how you would be disappointed, JJ. (laughs) It is in my notes. I truly was disappointed. The way that they use magic during sex in the books is Mal grabs her wrist. And so they get that amplifier jolt thing going. Another disappointment I had, similar to Anjali, being fast and loose with the rules of amplifiers, I want to understand the rules of the world. That was tough. I struggled with Bagra. I loved that she was in this season so much. Mm-hmm. And I think that I was like extremely excited for the scenes with her and the Darkling and really getting to see that. And I didn't buy it. She's just mean to him. And he's the villain. Like, yeah. I get it. Like, he's done a lot of very bad things, including to her. You really see it in when she's kind of instructing Alina on how to take him down. And Alina has to ask her, like, this feels weird. We're plotting to kill your son. Don't you feel weird about this? And Bagra's like, not really. It's crazy. I thought that her know that I loved you, know that it wasn't enough line. I was like, where was the loved you part? I did see an article saying that they had wanted to do scenes from Demon in the Wood in the season and it didn't happen. We obviously do get a couple references in mm-hmm. the Darklings lines to specifically events in that story. And I would have been really curious to see that, but I think we still wouldn't have seen the change. How does she get yeah. from what she was in Demon in the Woods to she's just totally given up all hope on him and is just antagonizing him? Follow-up question for you. If Bob were still alive and saw Alexander die in front of her thanks to her own helping and plotting with Alina, what kind of reaction would you have expected from her based on what you saw in the show? You know, it's hard i do think her last line of stupid boy after she you know cuts off his hand and then his nietzsche boy a killer that felt in line with both book and show bagra to me but i think it's kind of easy for her to show something there and the interactions while he's still alive i think are a lot harder Mm -hmm. i think they could have done something that would have felt genuine if she'd watched alina kill him but i was surprised at their interactions while she was still alive So one last disappointment was I think that episode one set up a Darkling that we did not see the rest of the season. Hmm. And so the end of episode one where the Darkling comes, the Nietzsche Voya kill all those first army soldiers. He saves Genya and all the Grisha, which, by the way, cages keep miraculously appearing in this season. (laughs) Just like every time they need a cage, there's another cage there. I was like, how does this work? Anyway, we all watched episode one together. And I got actual chills from that scene where he comes in. And at the end, I asked you guys if it had felt like a rape scene to you. And you were both like, uh, no. And I went and rewatched it immediately after. And what it felt like to me was, I guess, less like a rape scene and more like a scene where you know that rape or anything 
is absolutely on the table and could happen. Mm. And he walked in there and it felt like you come home after a long day and sitting in your apartment is an abusive ex who you last saw when you had them arrested for beating the crap out of you. And they're just sitting there and they're like, oh, hey, what did you want to get for dinner tonight? And you're like, holy shit, what is happening right, right now? And that is absolutely the vibes I got. I had chills. I was like, oh my God, he could do anything. He is this terrifying character. And two episodes later, he has the vapors and is coughing into a <laughs> handkerchief. And I'm like, what happened? I do think that, I think it was episode four, we got a little bit, we got a, another little glimpse of like that specific character but I was extremely excited at the end of episode one I'm like oh the darkling is back and this is going to be terrifying and I was not terrified by him it's funny you mention that in episode one it felt like nothing was off the table because I distinctly remember Anjali suggesting that perhaps he was suggesting cannibalism too (laughs) (laughs) yes hey I want to rewatch that scene and it still seems like he's suggesting cannibalism I don't know and we didn't know what he was going to do with Bagra's finger right there was a moment when it's like oh my gosh Anjali maybe you were right (laughs) (laughs) Ah, all right Kat let's talk about your disappointments I'm super disappointed by Bagra dying I just think we've talked about her so, so much on this podcast and have so many hopes for her and her future stories. Disappointed by that. The only way I can think of trying to justify it is that she thought it could be the last possible turning point for her son. She was like, this is my last ditch effort. If you accidentally kill me with your Nichevoya, maybe this will turn you from this path you're down. Other than that, super upset. Not over it. Tin Tinfoil hat theory. I rarely put on my tinfoil hat. So at the funeral for the Darkling or his burning, whatever you want to call it, we see a bee land on Zoya's coat and she brushes it away without thinking. And this is clearly setting up Elizaveta and stealing the Darkling's body and swapping it out at some point. It's signaling her presence. And so... Despite the fact that we are seeing the Darkling die, being burned, I think it's an indication in season three or season four or something. The writers are hoping to bring him back. We don't really see Bagra's body burned to death. We just kind of assume that. And I think, especially if the show wants to stick to any of its past canon about immortality and everything that the Darkling said this season about how they will live forever, mm. possibly the possibly Bagra does escape or she's rescued or something. I just, I don't think we see for sure that she dies. That's my tinfoil hat view of the situation. I love your faith. I feel like she did, it was dead, dead. <laughs> yeah, the tinfoil hat looks great on you, Anjali. I already alluded to this, disappointed by Nikolai and him not getting a chance to really land his little quips and zingers that even in the first trilogy, he was hilarious and such a little spot of sunshine for me in the books. I agree with Anjali. Nina, what did they do to you? She has like one scene where she's kind of a badass, but then she immediately gets knocked out. Like, come on. She's a great heart render. Give her a little bit more. Don't just make her a one note character trying to save her man. 
It drove me nuts when they were trying to shoehorn some of the iconic book quotes into the scenes at all costs where it didn't make sense. They'd completely change the plot and they just needed to get that line in there. Like, I've seen what you truly are and I've never turned away. I never will. Can he say the same? And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, where about? is this coming from? Like, <laughs> genuinely, what are you referring to? Exactly. Most of the tethering scenes, it felt like that for me, where I was like, come on. Cutting iconic scenes, like the church one at the end of Siege and Storm. I loved that scene, but nobody except maybe the Dark Lane actually believed Alina was into him and was like, you know, joining his side. That scene was super frustrating. Mm -hmm. I think overall, everything they've done to the Dark Lane, just like they made him out to be this 400-year-old bumbling fool who falls for a... 17 year old quote unquote who's clearly not into him and he's so one note just like Nina like entire plot and narrative is supposedly driven around this obsession around someone and it's like ugh don't love it don't love it he's way more than 400 years old the fold (laughs) is 400 years old 401 got it Yeah, I was really sad that the scene in the White Chapel was reduced to... Essentially, the ceiling only collapsed on him. Yeah. And I was like, man. Also, one of my favorite lines, one of my favorite... God, I do have a lot of favorite lines. But some of them, because he didn't kidnap Alina and because that scene didn't happen, they had both the the line in the White Chapel where he says, if you keep this up, you'll kill us both. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yes. You see her owning it Mm -hmm. and destroying him. And it's a great scene. So we solicited emails from all y'all at the end of our last episode. And thank you to those of you who wrote in. We love getting email and we love hearing from you and your thoughts. And we wanted to talk about one question that listener Isabel wrote in, which is, do we think that if Lee Bardugo wrote the Shadow and Bone trilogy now, that this would have been her ending? So for Alina, Mal... Nikolai, the Darkling, Bagra, would this have been her ending? I think that's a really interesting question. I think in some ways, her ending would definitely be closer to this in some respects, because I think that obviously the huge difference in this season, right, is that Alina doesn't lose her powers, and she doesn't retire to a life of quietness and running an orphanage with Mal. She's still the Sun Summoner. She's still a badass and she's still very powerful. I think that Lee probably regrets in some ways closing off Alina's story so definitively. And we see her try to bring back Alina a little bit in Roll of Wolves. And it almost feels like Alina's story is closed. So why are you doing that? But I think she probably would have liked Alina to be able to go on more adventures. I really think that the ending with Mal executed a little bit differently is more like what she would have done. And I think that we see that because that's what she does with Kaz and Inej. When you see like that complicated relationship where they are not on the same page where something's like not quite working and they're able at least Inej is able to say, like, you need to figure some things out and I need to go do this thing for me. I thought that was really beautiful for Kaz and Inej. We know Bardugo can totally pull that thing off and maybe that's something that she would do these days. Certainly less slut-shaming from Mel. Yes. I think I have to believe that she would not have crafted the show Darkling, that it would have been closer to the book 
Darkling that we saw and not so one note and actually in love with Alina. Like, still don't believe book Darkling loved her. So I cannot believe that part. That said, she clearly loves to mess with us Darklina fans a bit with the like the cult of the starless saints so maybe she would by now maybe she's changed her mind enough i agree with you that the way that she ended kaz and inej's story is like potentially what she could have done with mel and alina and was just for continue to explore different ways of having broken relationships and people who are a little bit broken i think it's the same for me that's the way I guess I feel about the way she carries on Zoya's story afterwards. It feels like if you kind of squint a little, it could have been Alina's story had she not lost her powers. So I think there is, it feels to me like it was her way of saying, okay, now I've had this one really powerful Grisha and I closed out her powers. How do I keep exploring what could happen and the complexities and depths of plot that could have happened with another extremely powerful peerless Grisha? And then she does that with Zoya. Yeah, I do think as an author, it would be so cool if you've written this trilogy a long time ago and you closed it out where Alina loses all of her powers and then you get to participate in the show and you're like, you know what? Let's not have her lose her powers right. and let's see where that goes. Yeah, at like, least just... for a while longer. Like maybe she still yeah. would get there. Or she still loses them at some point. But to get to see her for longer in power, engaged, it's basically Zoya's storyline later. It's so cool. So I want to acknowledge <laughs> that we actually didn't talk about the ending very much because we talked about everything else for so long. We have lots of things that we want to cover. So this is, as we say, part one. We'll be doing more episodes. We have some topics we know we want to cover, but feel free to send in stuff too. Yes. If you guys have any more suggestions or things you want us to talk about in the show, please drop us a line at crowclubpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.